Welcome to the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast brought to you by the Chapel Podcast Network. In the ninth week of our study of the Israelites' journey in the wilderness, Bill Harmon, senior pastor of King of Glory Lutheran Church, teaches us from the book of Leviticus, where we will see how the Day of Atonement points forward to Jesus Christ, our great high priest. So open your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 16 and join us now as we continue to learn that the journey from bondage to freedom points us to Jesus Christ. Thank you so much for the invitation to be here. And Hunter, thank you for your partnership and friendship as well. Uh, yes, Hunter lives on the wealthier side of the cul-de-sac. Uh, I live in the ghettos of Benjamin Howell, so you know. Um, my joke to people is the street only allows only so many clergy. So we, we have both ends covered. There you go. Uh, I am originally from Baltimore, Maryland. There you go. Okay. Yeah, thank you. And so, yes, I'm a Ravens fan, and sadly, I'm a Baltimore Orioles fan. So uh, I grew up there. Uh, my father still lives there. My sister still lives there. If you're familiar with Baltimore, we lived in Catonsville, which is sort of the west side of Baltimore. I went to, uh, there's a Lutheran high school in Baltimore. I went there only because the schools weren't great where I lived. And it was there that I realized the depths of a God and his love for me. And I realized that I wanted to be a part of telling that story. So by the end of my freshman year in high school, I was preaching a chapel at Baltimore Lutheran. And by my senior year, I was traveling at Christian schools in Baltimore preaching uh, the gospel of Jesus Christ. I went to college in uh, Bronxville, New York. Uh, the Lutheran Church has several colleges and universities, so I went to the one there. I went to seminary in St. Louis, Missouri. Uh, I interned, we call it a vicarage, in Warren, Michigan. Unfortunately, I had a Toyota Corolla, so that was not a great marriage, just so you know, <laughs> uh, since it was a big Ford and Chrysler area. Uh, my first church was in Flat Rock, Michigan, home of the Ford Mustang. And I changed my car by that time, just so you know. I was the associate pastor for families. Then I was the associate pastor in Long Island, New York, in Garden City, uh, if you have to live in Long Island, not a bad place to be. I was the associate pastor there for families, youth, and children. The pastor then retired. I became the senior pastor, uh, and I have been the senior pastor now, King of Glory, for 13 years. We are building a new building there, so we will take a collection before we're done today. Uh, thank you for your donation. Uh, and just for a public record, we did not put the traffic circle in Long, on Long Hill Road, all right? <laughs> that was not us, just so you know. <laughs> We've actually received calls of complaints from the community, like, we didn't do that. So, uh, uh, Hunter's right, my wife Gail uh, uh, is a wonderful woman. She teaches first grade at Claire Burr Baker, and we have three sons. Uh, adult Jack is 24, he works at Disney. Max is 22, he works at James River Elementary. And Noah is 19, and he works for Ziegler Plumbing. He's a plumber. Uh, so he'll, we'll live with him when we're retired, <laughs> just so you know. Uh, one thing I did want to say before I get too much into it is we have a partnership that uh, we don't speak too much about, but I'd like you to know because I need your help. Uh, the Community Chapel, um, New Zion, uh, Dr. Whitehead, uh, Crosswalk, um, and a few other churches have helped 
with King of Glory to relocate a family from Burkina Faso, which is a very small African nation. And uh, we became friends with a gentleman there and his family. Uh, he's a Christian in a predominantly Muslim nation. He's, I would say he's an evangelist in some sorts. Uh, he became fearful for his life and his family's life. So we have moved them here. They now live here in Williamsburg and uh, he needs a job. He needs a full-time job to be able to support his family. So if you have any connections on that, let me know at the end and I can make sure you get his resume. Uh, he speaks English and French uh, very well. He worked at the US Embassy in Burkina Faso in security, uh, as a security guard. And so if you can help us do that, uh, that would be great. Okay, Leviticus. Hunter said, hey, come and teach this community Bible study and teach on Leviticus. I'm like, oh, great, thanks a lot. Uh, uh, we just had the Reformation on Sunday. And uh, so you're welcome, by the way. Lutherans, we, we say you're welcome for that. Uh, wherever, whatever church you go to, you wouldn't be there for, for us today. Um, one of the tenets, of course, of Christendom, but reflected probably brightest through the Lutheran denomination would be that we are saved by grace through faith. And I make no apologies uh, for being a pastor who leans heavily on grace. Not that there isn't a place for the law. Obviously, there is. That law reveals to us our need for a Savior, our need for God's grace. But I love when there are nuggets of grace in the most unexpected places. And particularly, I like to find grace in the Old Testament because you know, our general flow of Scripture is that the Old Testament is filled with a lot of the law, which points to the need for the gospel. The gospel reveals uh, the saving grace of God, and then the epistles show how we live that life of grace. But the Old Testament is filled with places of grace. Creation itself is an acknowledgement of the grace of God. Later today, read Psalm 136, and you'll see this beautiful psalm of thanksgiving. Most of it is thanking God for creation through which his grace is revealed. There's also another place in, in Genesis that I love the grace of God revealed, and uh, some of my folks are here today. I see that is uh, in the Garden of Eden, right? Uh, Adam and Eve sin. Uh, they fall short of the glory of God. They run and hide. What happens? God comes to them. That's grace. Not only does God come to them, he seeks them out. It's a beautiful passage. Adam, where are you? Great, uh, Grace. <laughs> Eve, where are you? <laughs> now, you know what's really humorous about that, right, is that he knows where they are. <laughs> He's God. But he seeks them out, and then what happens? In calling them, he gives them an opportunity to come forth. We might say repent. And then the relationship continues. We're going to see glimmers of that today as we look at the Day of Atonement. Now, we can't possibly read all of Leviticus 16 and 19 that would take our time, <laughs> our entire time here. But there are things about the Day of Atonement that I think would be helpful for you to know. So before Leviticus 16, uh, chapters 11 uh, to 15, 
Yes, we see uh, all that needs to ha be hap happening for the clean and the unclean. So we get some uh, clarity on those things that are clean and those things that are unclean uh, because they have to be concerned with the difference between the two because only the clean can enter the, the temple. Only the clean can enter the holy of holies. And you may know that the temple is where the Lord dwells. It's his earthly dwelling. We as modern day uh, saints of God, we know that God's dwelling is now where? In us, right. Um, and so uh, there, keep that in mind because we will have to think about our own cleansing as well. Chapter 16 sets out the purpose and the rituals for cleansing to take place. We often think with the Day of Atonement that it's only about the forgiveness of individual sins. But in the Old Testament, we have to remember where forgiveness is found and how it's achieved. Because it's fundamentally important to understand that, to understand how those same things occur today. So now in the Old Testament, forgiveness is achieved through sacrifice at the temple. But to give sacrifice at the temple, those giving sacrifice have to be cleansed. And those who enter the temple often are not perfect. <laughs> Ever are not perfect, right? And so there are rituals even for cleansing the temple. And then, of course, also 11 through 15, we also see a path for God's presence. Uh, there's lots of ways to be unclean, by the way. Uh, food, sex, disease, uh, death, if you're around someone who had died, all those things could make you unclean. And something we should note is that being unclean is not necessarily uh, bad. And what I mean by that, it's not because you did something bad. Sometimes it is, but, but sometimes it's just because of what you were around. So oftentimes when you follow the life of Jesus, what the Pharisees and the Sadducees are concerned about is being unclean. So the, the Good Samaritan, for example, right? We, we love the Good Samaritan. I love the Good Samaritan because it's a, the end of the Good Samaritan, I think, is one of the most relevant pieces of Scripture for us today. You know, who's your neighbor? <laughs> Go and do likewise. And we believe that your neighbor's everybody. But one of the, not to excuse the priest, for the record, but one of the reasons why the priest probably doesn't stop to help the man on the side of the road, who, by the way, is bleeding, who is unclean, is because he doesn't want to get unclean. Now, that's not an excuse, right? We, the, the church is meant to get dirty. And the, the church, by the way, meaning you and me, uh, we're not to to be always so perfectly clean in the sense of serving God, sometimes we've got to get down and dirty for the sake of the gospel. Doesn't mean that we condone, doesn't mean that we accept everything, but it does mean we engage so that lives are changed. I wonder what's the, what's the worst punishment you ever had to endure as a child? So think about your childhood for a moment, and let's say you 
got in trouble at school or fought with your sister or brother, didn't do the chores, <laughs> something like that. Um, does anyone want to share one or two? Yes, sir. Ah, yeah, being discluded. So we're gonna, we're all gonna go to Brewster's, and you're not. Yeah, I can't uh, connect with that because I was a perfect child <laughs> in every way, you know. So my sister says I was the golden child. <laughs> no, I'm kidding. I, I, I'll share my punishment with you in a minute. Someone else? Yeah, spanking, right? Spank first, talk later used to be the theme. Yeah, Jim. Oh, you got a bonus. Span <laughs> spanking with a strap. Yes. Maybe we should start therapy together. All of us here, right? <laughs> yeah. I thought the worst one for me, uh, and I didn't understand this as a child, as I do more as an adult, being an external processor and being an extrovert, and if you know anything about Enneagram, being a three, um, is being ignored the silent treatment, right? That was, that was worse than not getting Brewster's, was not being spoken to. And so uh, the reason I ask you that is, now imagine, imagine if there was no means for you to be punished and also atone for the mistakes you make every day. So how many ice creams would you have to not have to fulfill the sins that you've committed? How many spankings should you receive with a strap should you receive to atone for the sins you've committed? How long should God ignore Bill Harmon because he's a poor, miserable sinner? The answer to that is forever. And so what we see in Leviticus is this shining glimmer of grace. As complicated as it is, if you get a chance later today, read all of chapter 16. It's just a nugget of all the things that have to be done to work toward atonement. It's a lot of work. We're going to take a look at some of it right now, but I want you to see a peek in this passage of Jesus himself. In fact, I want you to think about the day of crucifixion. Uh, this is from Matthew 27. And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. Very important. I would encourage you, never say Jesus died. I think you should say Jesus willingly gave himself over to death. To me, that's a significant difference. I've been by a lot of people who died. They had no control of it. Jesus willingly gives up his spirit on our behalf. What a beautiful moment of grace. At that moment, the curtain of the where? The temple, which is where we're at in Leviticus, was torn, to, torn in two from top to bottom. The earth shook, the rock split, and lots of other really phenomenal things occurred. So as we dig into Leviticus here, and we see this imagery you keep in mind that at the cross, Jesus is the ultimate fulfiller of what we need. So much so that it's addressed in his crucifixion. When he gives his life over to death, that which separated those 
unclean from the clean, those who could go into the Holy of Holies, is now taken away. It's split in two. And we have full access to God. No rituals, no goats, no sheep, no doves, no purity rituals, nothing like that, which is what we see in Leviticus, Leviticus, which again is loving. All we need is the power of the cross and what God chooses to do for us in that sacred moment. So the Day of Atonement's main purpose is to give us cleansing of the sanctuary because of the pollutants of the unclean worshipers. That's the passage we're at today, uh, Leviticus 16. So it will eventually bring cleansing to sinners, but this portion is uh, those who would be entering the temple who may have polluted it because of their sinfulness. Can you imagine if that was the litmus test for our churches? I say that to you because in some it is. Uh, you can come into this holy place, the building of the church, but you have to come perfectly, better than you are. Can you imagine if we had someone at the door at King of Glory or the Community Chapel or Williamsburg Presbyterian or Crosswalk or wherever you go, and they said, well, before you come in, how was your week? Did you pay attention when Bill Harmon was there Friday at 7 o'clock? Did you lose your temper leaving the parking lot, right? We we had an accounting. And we said, well, you can't come in until you figure it out, right? That's the wrong approach to our holy of holies. What churches should be doing is what Christ did, right? We should be seeking out the worst of sinners and say, you know what? You probably need to come. Yeah, you need to come with me today (laughs) because I want you to hear something that can transform your life, right? Unfortunately, 21st century church, notice I'm not saying Christendom, and notice I'm not accusing you individually. By the way, I am a servant of God who's been called to the church, so I'm talking to me. And other congregations who may have fallen into the trap of everyone's welcome here except them. That'd be a very dangerous thing for us to do. Now, hear me clearly. Everyone we want to be welcome, King of Glory's vision is that all may know the love of Jesus, and we always say all means all. All doesn't mean condoning everyone's behavior. All doesn't mean being a doormat and letting everything and anything happen, that nothing matters anymore. That's contrary to Scripture. But what it does mean is that we have the all solution to the all sin problem. And so, yeah, we want all sinners to have an opportunity to hear the all-availing sacrifice of Jesus Christ, which transforms hearts forever. That hasn't happened yet in Leviticus. In In Leviticus, those who are going through the rituals are not perfect, and so they need to be cleanse. Let's read some of it. Uh, this is 16, 11 to 14. Mm. 
30 minutes. Thanks, Hunter. Aaron shall bring the bull for his own sin, offering to make atonement for himself and his household, and he is to slaughter the bull for his own sin offering. He is to take a censer full of burning coals from the altar before the Lord and two handfuls of finely ground fragrant incense and take them behind the curtain. He is to put the incense on the fire before the Lord and the smoke of the incense will conceal the atonement, cover above the tablets of the covenant law so that he will not die. He is to take some of the bull's blood and with his finger sprinkle it on the front of the atonement cover. Then he shall sprinkle some of it with his finger seven times before the atonement cover. Now, please let, let, please let me share with you, I am not being critical of this passage, but what I'm trying to show you is the depths that have to be taken for atonement. I, we've just read 1%. By the way, a little trivia for you, later on today, if you go to verses 20 to 22, you'll find the term scapegoat and where scapegoat comes from. The short of it is, the, the sins, the, the uncleanliness of the, of the people there would be placed upon the, the goat, and the goat would then be sent out into the wilderness to die. The scapegoat. Which, by the way, has really powerful imagery, right? What, is, what does Jesus do as part of his ministry? He goes out into the desert, and he is tempted by Satan himself. And by the way, when does he go out into the desert? After he's baptized in the Jordan, which he doesn't have to do, by the way. I love that imagery of all these people going to the Jordan River to be cleansed, and then what happens? The Messiah stands in the river, that filth-ridden river, that sin-laden river, and has that poured upon him. It's a prophecy of what he's going to do. And then he goes out to be tempted because Jesus ultimately is our scapegoat, if you will, for our sinfulness. So we, we see this in Levit Leviticus and we say, wow, God is very complicated. Or I would say God is very graceful. That he cares so much for his people that he creates a system through which atonement can be achieved. That's love. I mean, God. Think about it. This is the Lord of Lords. This is the God of Gods. Forgive me, it's the King of Glory. <laughs> and he spends time with us poor sinners. He takes, he loves his creation so much that even in the heart of Levit Leviticus, the, the fullness of the law is actually an act of love. Because I don't want you to die. What happens when you come into the presence of God in the Holy of Holies and you are unclean is you die. Because we are not holy and he is. And the holiness of God is so radiant, so bright, so powerful that to be in that presence as we are, we die. But God says so that you do not die, here are things you can do. That's love. Now we can argue whether God needed could make it simpler, <laughs> right? I mean, wouldn't it have been better if God said, you know what? For you to atone for your sins, eat Reese's peanut butter cups. 
That is manna from heaven, and you will surely live when you eat Reese's Peanut That would be good. We'd probably have a lot more people in church. <laughs> so who are we to question the ways of God? You know, Job's got all these chapters of all the things that happened to Job, and then finally God says, which, by the way, he, he hung in there longer than I would have, where were you when I created the heavens and the earth? Maybe said a different way, who do you think you are? I'm God, you're not. Another troubling challenge we have in the 21st century, right? Of which we've had over all the centuries. The, orig the original sin is that we want to be God. So rejoice, God is a God of grace and love even in the Old Testament. And so let's take a moment to see how that pertains to us in the New Testament. So Aaron is a sinner. He is the priest doing these things. Jesus, uh, that should be, is, uh, is sinless. My typo. This is a sure way of you knowing that I typed this and no one else did. <laughs> Highlight, it's my gift to my congregation when I write something and type it out because then it's like a, a search a word. They can find all the grammatical errors and get information. It's like a game, you know? Oh, pastor must have written this, right? So uh, the difference between what happens in Leviticus and what happens in the gospel, maybe said another way is, uh, the fulfillment of God's love for his people is that he doesn't abandon the system, but rather provides the perfect one to fulfill it on our behalf. So Aaron's a sinner, Jesus is sinless. Aaron must repeat this act over and over and over again. Jesus is forever. Aaron is cleansing the earthly sanctuary, and he's doing this so that he can enter the Holy of Holies, so that he can be in the presence of God. Jesus is the sacrifice through which we are able then to enter the Holy of Holies. Aaron has persistent sin. Jesus, once for all sacrifice. A little deeper. Aaron's a sinner. Jesus is sinless. Hebrews 7, 26. Such a high priest truly meets our need. One who is holy, blameless, pure, set apart from sinners, exalted above the heavens. That's our Savior, Jesus Christ. God, out of love for you, chose to provide the path through which your sins would be forgiven. He no longer relies on you. He no longer relies on me. So in the Lutheran church, I am a called and ordained servant of the word. Uh, Lutherans are diet Catholics. We're low-carb Catholics, if you will. Uh, so if you came to our traditional service, you would say, boy, I feel like I'm at a Catholic church. Uh, if you came to our blended service, you'd say, oh, I feel like I'm at a Catholic church. <laughs> and if you came to our contemporary service, you'd say, wow, I didn't know Lutherans did contemporary worship, right? Um, but but in, our, in our liturgy, right, so we have, a we have a consistent liturgy that we use and a format that we use, we always have a confession and absolution. My favorite is an older version that I grew up as a child, right? Um, 
I confess to you, Almighty God, that I am a poor, miserable sinner. And I confess to thee all my sins and iniquities with which I have ever offended thee and truly deserve thy temporal and eternal punishment, right? As a child, I didn't even know what half those words meant, but I knew it was deep, right? Because it had thy and these in it. Uh, and then we say, but I am heartily sorry for them. And I used to think we were saying, but I am hardly sorry for them. So I didn't ever really realize what that meant, right? Uh, and sincerely repent of them and pray that it goes on. And then the pastor says, I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained, sin as a called and ordained sinner, yeah, uh, that's what I say. I, by virtue of my office, as a called and ordained servant of the word, announce the grace of God unto all of you. And in the stead and by the command of my Lord Jesus Christ, I forgive you all of your sins in the name of the Father, Son, Holy Spirit. Now, it sounds like I'm doing it. No, I am announcing to you what God has achieved. We didn't sacrifice a bull. We didn't have a goat. It's been achieved by the power and grace of God through Jesus Christ. That's what we see here, right? So Aaron must repeat, Jesus is forever. Uh, earthly sanctuary, heavenly sanctuary, Hebrews 9, 24. For Christ did not enter a sanctuary made with human hands, that was only a copy of the true one. He entered heaven itself now to appear for us in God's presence. A very undervalued piece of our resurrection story is the ascension of Christ. Christ ascends into heaven to sit at the right hand of the Father to daily, moment by moment, intervene on our behalf the salvation story. And that's what he does. Aaron couldn't do that. Aaron has persistent sin, Jesus once for all, Hebrews 10, 12 to 13. But that when this high priest offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. And because of that, we then are inspired and inclined to live a life to God. So, so the expectation in the old in Leviticus is you have you are now atoned for your sins. You are now uh, you are now able to enter into the presence of God. Now go be godly people. If we had another thirty minutes together, we would look at Leviticus nineteen and see the law revealed again, that you are to love God above all things and love your neighbor. We see it right there, Leviticus 19. So now that you've been atoned, now that you've been forgiven, now that you've been restored, go live to the glory of God. We do not believe as Christians that grace gives us excuse to be expert sinners. What we believe is that grace inspires us and empowers us to be godly men who even in our struggle seek to glorify God in worshiping him and loving our neighbor. Who's our neighbor? Everybody. And therefore, we gather together to surround ourselves with those promises and live in those truths because we forget it. We mess up. We lose sight of who we are and what we're supposed to be. Hebrews 10, 24 to 25, and let us consider how we may spur one another on toward love and good deeds, 
That's what we're doing here. And what's beautiful about what we're doing here is it's not about where we go. It's about who we are. When you get to heaven, the password to heaven isn't going to be Hunter Roo. Disappointing, isn't it? <laughs> Mr. Roo, I know you think it will be Hunter Roo, but because you know he's, he's a good guy, you did a good job. But uh, no, I'm, by the way, I met your daughter on Halloween. She came down. Uh, nor will the password be "Don't say Bill Harmon, friends." You may go somewhere you don't want to go. Let me tell you. The only way into heaven is Jesus Christ. And so we spur one another on in love for each other, love for God, love for the community around us, and good deeds. We show up on the 13th and serve. We find a job for Ellie. We make sure that the food pantries are full. We we help with the winter shelter, right? These are things that we do. We help a friend in need, and we even help a stranger on occasion. And we do not give up meeting together as some are in the habit of doing, but encouraging one another, and all the more as you see the day approaching. We're about to come into Advent. And Advent is a reminder to us of Christ coming in the flesh the first time, and Christ coming again the second time. And so we want to always be ready. And so to be ready, we get up at 7 o'clock on a Friday morning, and we engage God's Word. We get up on Sunday mornings at whatever time your church is, and we gather with the community of believers because God commands it, first and foremost, and it is good for us. It's who we are. It's a natural response to us knowing the grace of God that lives in us. God shines the power of the cross and all that he's done. We have no part of that. He, he atones for your sins. He transforms you. He gives you a new identity as the redeemed. And now we live and walk to his glory as well. May the Lord bless you in that endeavor and guide you in all that you do. Thank you for the time today. I thought I'd end with a prayer. Maybe pastor's going to do it too. But I thought, well, while I'm here, let's do Luther's morning prayer together, right? So you can all say at least for one day, you were Lutheran. <laughs> and if you can't see it, uh, I'll say it for you uh, as we go along. Uh, as you know, Martin Luther was a monk, uh, then became this, what I would say, great reformer. And part of his teachings was to have a morning prayer. He also has an evening prayer. So if you can see it, uh, there's another slide after this. Let's pray it together. I thank you, my heavenly Father, through Jesus Christ, your dear Son, that you have kept me this night from all harm and danger. And I pray that you would keep me this day also from sin and every evil, that all my doings and life may please you. For into your hands I commend myself, my body and soul and all things. Let your holy angel be with me, that the evil foe may have no power over me. Amen. Thank you for joining us for the Friday Men's Breakfast Podcast. I hope you will join us again next week for the next leg of our journey. For more information on the Williamsburg Friday Men's Breakfast, please visit wcchapel.org slash men's breakfast. 
Have a great week. 